Hello, this is Andy Mangum, and this is Sunday Starter. We try to provide a non-chatty overview of the lectionary text or a lectionary text that's coming up. And so today we are looking at the first Sunday of Advent, year A. So starting really at the very beginning. As I look at the lectionary readings for Advent, year A, uh, I'm going to stay in the book of Isaiah, read the Isaiah text. Uh, though there, of course, uh, are t readings from Matthew and uh, the other Gospels and readings from the Psalms and uh, also the Epistles. But uh, Sunday, uh, year A, uh, first Sunday of Advent begins with Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, which also mirrors Micah 4, 1 through 5. Uh, this says, The word of Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So just a reminder uh, that uh, Judah and Jerusalem are, are state and city or state and capital uh, after the reign of Solomon, who reigned over a united Israel. Uh, the um, we had the period of the divided kingdom, uh, where Judah in the south separated from Israel in the north, and uh, they sometimes fought with each other, sometimes they fought against each other, um, but uh, they had a contentious uh, relationship after that, to uh, be sure. Uh, in the days to come, uh, verse 2, the mountain of the Lord's house, uh, that's Yahweh's house um, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, English translations, rather, when we see uh, Lord written in all caps, we remember that that is the tetragrammaton, uh, the name for the Lord. Um, uh, the house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All nations shall stream to it. Uh, this uh, passage uh, that says shall be established and shall be raised above the hills in the Jewish um, Publishing Society translation of this text, it says shall stand firm above the mountains and tower above the hill, hills and all nations shall gaze on it with joy. Um, also, the Lord's house is uh, translated differently depending on which translation you're reading. Uh, the, the earlier NIV, the NIV from 1979, says the Lord's temple. Um, the JPS translation also says the Lord's house, uh, the Lord's house uh, and, and is the highest of the mountains, chief among the, among the mountains, is what the 79 version of the NIV says. Uh, so some different translations there uh, that, that might be interesting. Verse 3, many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, this statement from out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, again, the, the, the New International, the earl earlier New International Version, I didn't consult the uh, 2000, was that 10 or 11 version, uh, but the, the 79 version says the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And the study notes uh, from the Oxford Study Bible suggest that the law is considered the guidance for the priest and the word of God, the instruction from the prophets. And perhaps this is an early reference to, uh, reference to the canon as the law and the prophets. I'll let you be the judge. Uh, verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples or settle disputes. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not rise up against nation, neither shall they learn of war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The JPS 
translates in the light of the Lord by by the light of the Lord. So uh, contextually, we, we don't know necessarily where to place this text in Isaiah. There's not a whole lot of clues. In the first chapter of Isaiah, the prophet identifies the, the context into which they uh, prophesied uh, during the reign of King Uzziah. And Uzziah reigned, at least according to one resource, uh, between 73, uh, 783 and 774 BCE. Uh, Jotham for 742 through 735, Ahaz 735 to 715, and Hezekiah 715 to 687. I think King Uzziah's reign is particularly important here. Uh, King Uzziah's father, the predecessor, was King Amaziah, and 2 Kings 14 uh, recounts how he defeated the Edomites and how he was embarrassed in battle against Israel. So there's this uh, you know, passage where uh, he, he's won a victory, and so he, he throws the gauntlet down to uh, the northern kingdom. Uh, the nord- northern king says, you know, don't mess with me. You're, you're full of yourself. And, in fact, when they do wage war, uh, Jerusalem is embarrassed. In Second Chronicles 26, we get a, a much greater detail about Uzziah's reigns. He fortified the city of Jerusalem, which had been dis- devastated during his father's reign. Uh, he also provided for agricultural and livestock infrastructure. He, he loved the soil, says verse 10, uh, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 10. Uh, in verse 11, it says, Uzziah had many well-trained ar- army, uh, had, had a well-trained army, rather, ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered uh, by Jael, the secretary, and uh, uh, Maaseiah, uh, the officer. So verse 14 Uzziah provided shields and spears and helmets and coats of armor, bows and sling stones for the entire army. And then verse 18, in Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for the use of uh, on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Second Chronicles also narrates uh, Uzziah's downfall, pride and irreverence was his downfall. He succumbed to leprosy, and um, so Second Chronicles cites Isaiah's writings as recording other events of Uzziah's career. So, so Second Chronicles, something comes after Isaiah's writing, uh, obviously, but um, still enlightening to us. Uh, it seems like in this text that Isaiah uh, has a real preference for Uzziah's agricultural uh, emphasis and for his love of soil and maybe uh, a little bit of critique over Uzziah's uh, fortification of uh, defenses. Um, really good uh, work that you might look at in this regard um, uh, re- really to the relationship between agriculture and uh, the military and that would be Fields of Blood by Karen Armstrong. She tackles this uh, mythology that kind of exists in secular culture, that all wars were fought on religious grounds, or that most wars are fought on religious grounds. And that's that's sort of the main theme of the book, that in fact um, many wars have been fought uh, that, have, that have co-opted religion rather than truly been uh, motivated by religion. But, but she talks about this relationship that, that really uh, when we were in the hunting-gathering uh, phase, you would think that hunters were more violent uh, than, uh, than farmers. Um, that's certainly the mythology from those of us who've watched too many Westerns uh, growing up. 
that that the farmer is the peaceful one and the and the uh, rancher the uh, the hunter is the violent one but but she points out that really a nation doesn't need an army until it has an agricultural base to per, uh, to to protect so as we look at this text what what are what are our sort of guiding thoughts i i would say for me if i'm going to preach this text and i i will be preaching this text um I would say that faithful persons must constantly reorient their lives to God's vision of human thriving. There is a strong emphasis in this text to learning of the Lord, and and that learning is not just uh, a learning that is um, uh, cognitive, but it is, in fact, uh, a behavioral. Uh, faithful persons should assess the mechanisms of their life on the basis of whether technology or system or structure or pattern contributes to human thriving or diminishes it. Uh, some doctrinal insights that I might include here, uh, one would be uh, uh, sapience, which is uh, a fancy word for wisdom, uh, though I think sapience is helpful because in biblical studies we have wisdom literature, and so to, uh, to, to identify sapience as that, that, that wisdom that is cultivated from uh, 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 larger than just one section of, of scripture. Uh, learn that word from uh, a book that I find very helpful called By the Renewing of Your Minds by Ellen Cherry. Um, and, uh, and she, she takes uh, sapience as the, the theme that, that in fact what theology's purpose is is to provide sapience, to provide human wisdom for thriving. Uh, she writes in uh, the introduction, sapience includes correct information about God but emphasizes attachment to that knowledge. Sapience is engaged knowledge that emotionally connects the knower to the known. I'll read that again. Sapience is engaged knowledge that emotionally connects the knower to the known. Uh, she, in that same paragraph, contrasts the Eastern versus Western approach uh, to that, that uh, connection. Uh, suggesting that the West focused on the wrath of God, the grandeur of God, the glory of God, uh, and by contrast, human sinfulness, and that growth involved a deepening trust in the Lord um, and the trust in God's forgiveness and, and God's plan. In the East, uh, she says that the, the focus is often more on the likeness of God uh, being created imago dei and then living a transformed life that imitates uh, God. But then she concludes that paragraph by saying, both traditions, however, insisted that God is the origin and destiny of human happiness, that knowing and loving God are the foundation of human self-knowledge and direction, and that life's goal is confirmation to God. In God's vision of the future, the mechanisms of human technology are changed from tools of destruction and aggression to tools of human thriving. Some images that we might draw from here. This uh, text is full of imagery that uh, might influence the way we go about our work. Uh, obviously, the mountain is one of those. Uh, one of the books I rely on heavily when I'm thinking about imagery is Gail Ramshaw's book, Treasures Old and New. Uh, she relates that this vision of the mountain pilgrimage uh, that is found in Isaiah chapter 2 um, contrasts a little bit with Jesus' dialogue with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where Jesus emphasized that no particular mountain is the essential pilgrimage location, but that worship occurs through the Spirit faithfully oriented to the Word and to the work of the Lord. 
there is some suggestion that uh, additions uh, that emphasize the mountain as the the location of uh, the temple that uh, the, the, of Jerusalem of um, of Mount Zion that um, that that was added later uh, perhaps uh, we don't know uh, certainly mountain imagery is is throughout the Bible uh, Sinai for both Moses and uh, Elijah, um, uh, as well as as uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the, the going to the mountain is uh, a common image, and I think uh, a beautiful one to be incorporated on the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, for me, uh, this text reminds me of orienteering. Uh, I was a Boy Scout, and so that may make more sense to me than maybe to some people who who didn't do that kind of thing. But orienteering is a, um, a use of compass and map, and uh, competitively you try to uh, pinpoint uh, certain checkpoints in a certain order. Um, it's very hard, at least it was for me. I was never very good at it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. <laughs> I was just never very good at it. Um, but it, it is a, a powerful image to me of, of working with uh, ideas and working with some level of precision, both calculating distances and looking at the terrain, trying to convert what you read in a map and the information derived from a compass into a living practice of getting from one place to another. Uh, for me, orienteering is uh, um, just a really powerful, uh, powerful image. And, and I think one that to me captures the sense of both learning from the Lord, um, but also not learning in the sense of uh, just uh, applying it to our, our cognition, uh, but really living that out in some significant way. Uh, last image, of course, I think is hard to avoid, and this is that conversion of swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Uh, that's just such a compelling image, and uh, I think hard to get away from if we're going to look at this text. And so I think if we're going to look at this text, and, and I, I would encourage us to do that, uh, I think we can't leave it just at that level of discipleship, of learning from the Lord, and and sort of a generic call to orient our lives to uh, who God is and and maybe what God is trying to teach us. That 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 seems to to stop short of of really where Isaiah himself lands on the ground in this text. Uh, he lands on the ground in terms of learning to take those elements of war, swords and spears and converting them into utensils for agriculture, for, for human thriving, for feeding people. There is a, a helpful resource that I would encourage you to look up. Uh, it's the USDA's Economic Research Service International Food Security Assessment uh, for 2022 to 2032, so a 10-year forecast of, of where we think, uh, where the, US, the USDA at least thinks that food security will be in 10 years. Um, they do have a hopeful outlook. They, they think that food insecurity will, uh, will, be, will go down and that food security will go up and, and improve over the next 10 years. But they write this, this is helpful, uh, that the number of food insecure people in 2022 is estimated at 1.3 billion. Um, if I'm correct, that's, that's about one out of every seven people on the planet uh, having food insecurity. Uh, in the IFSA country. So that's not, uh, yeah, it's still, it's still one of, out of seven people on the globe, but it's not uh, equally distributed. They, they refer to the IFSA uh, that, that, uh, um, 
uh, is the international food security assessment country, 77 countries that they looked at out of four regions that suffer from uh, major uh, dynamics of food insecurity. Uh, they say an increase of, um, of 118.7 million people, or 9.8%, from the 2021 estimate. Uh, this estimate reflects an additional 41.7 million people who can be considered food insecure associated with Russia's military invasion of Ukraine and fertilizer and energy price increases. So, uh, so we have an increase of the number of food insecure in the world. Uh, even although this report suggests that by 2032, that number will be significantly reduced um, by about half, um, still, uh, that's, a, that's a large number of people who, who deal with food insecurity. And, and I think, again, you know, it, it's, it's grand to talk about, especially on the first Sunday of Advent, how we need to, to think about, um, you know, all the, the beautiful things that go with the Christmas season. Uh, but but I also believe that um, that we need to land on the ground and, and help us understand and associate the world. Um, my advocacy in this would would be to say that that we learn to connect our discipleship with our mission. Um, too often, at least when I was growing up, prayer and Bible study was often this thing we did over on the side uh, that made us feel better, that connected us to God's grace, relieved our guilt. And our shame, and um, and then and then we we somehow converted all that positive energy into uh, energy to do God's work in the world. Um, but oftentimes, I think we were not doing that thoughtfully. Uh, I, I still think we don't necessarily do our work as thoughtfully as we could. Um, reading an assessment report um, may not feel like discipleship, but if we read it with the eyes of faith, read it with an eye of how, how is God calling uh, me as an individual, us as a community of faith, into response to this? Um, then it can be a, a connection point to our discipleship. Uh, the church needs to become more uh, creative in, in the way it learns uh, about the issues that are before us. Uh, along those same lines, I would recommend that uh, church groups re uh, look at books like Transforming Communities by Sean Dejah. Uh, it's a Chalice Press publication, great uh, work. It's a little bit older. She's written several books since then, but I think uh, one of the more accessible books to, to think about this connection of our spiritual lives and uh, the learning that we need to do and how we live um, as well. Like I said, I, I think we can prayerfully read. Uh, if you type in uh, needs assessment and then put your county name in or your community name in, uh, even your state, your country, or, or the globe, that's a term of art, it seems to be, uh, for those who do social analysis, and that uh, that's a way to, to get some information about what's going on in those spaces that matter to you and to begin to think about how we formulate effective responses to those. Uh, as a disciple, I would point you to our uh, Week of Compassion and the, the blog that uh, Week of Compassion writes. Um, it's a helpful um, uh, portrait of what's going on in the world, a way to think about that, um, and, and then to, to think thoughtfully, discerningly. Um, I know that it, especially, especially at Christmas time, we, we want to rush to throw money in the red bucket, and that's fine. I believe in what Salvation Army does, um, but, but uh, really this uh, focus in Isaiah calls us to learn and to think 
and to be discerning and then to act uh, in, with some intentionality to contribute to organizations that we have looked into and examined and know um, to serve with the strength that God gives us and to advocate for changes in policy and structures that enable all people to thrive. So that is uh, my uh, overview of how I will approach Isaiah chapter 2 on this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, I would be working uh, from a theme that might be called something like uh, Journey to Peace, uh, based on this whole uh, text, but also uh, as we look at the rest of Isaiah's uh, readings in the lectionary uh, for Advent, uh, that's going to be my theme for Uh, for our time together. Hope to see you next week or listen to you or whatever, interact with you next week. God bless you. And remember, redeem the drives for indeed the drives are evil.